Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Awesome. Okay, Will, so I, I decided, um, I, I think if I'm going to buy you a night of drinks at Gillies, I need 10 Tony Gwynn's during this podcast. Are we recording? We are. Nice, good. Okay. <laughs> 10 Tony Gwynn's. 10, 10 Tony Gwynn's? Yeah. Whew, that is a big challenge, but accepted. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Andrea Lopez Villafania, managing editor at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined this week by reporter Jacob McWinney and senior investigative reporter Will Huntsbury and producer Nate John. What's up, guys? Yo. Yo. Whoa. <laughs> oh, God. Didn't plan that. Between hey, each one, but that was really cool. <laughs> that was the, the Will and Nate singularity that just happened. <laughs> okay. We work together a long time now. <laughs> Coming up on the show this week, a fake nonprofit raked in hundreds of thousands of dollars running concession stands at Petco Park. We'll track down the receipts and who was running the show. Now, fallout continues in the wake of that story. And chronic absenteeism for kindergartners is a big deal. San Diego Unified's numbers have dragged for lower grades for years. Now those rates are exploding. Jacob's going to break down why it's such a big problem and what experts say about it. And finally, weeks after the city of San Diego passed its camping ban, we're seeing the effects downtown and trends from around the region as mayors approach homelessness solutions. It's going to be a good show. Stay with us. But first, our live show is coming up Wednesday, September 6th in North Park. We're going to host a show in front of a crowd, and we want to see you there. Scott will be back next week. He misses everyone dearly, especially the listeners. Probably mostly the listeners. He, he just wants the, the attention. Seat. I think he misses the yeah, host yeah, yeah. a lot. There's energy there that he, that he craves. He's probably just walking around his house, like sitting in different seats, seeing if he feels like gratification that he does from that host seat you know <laughs> i know may you find your best host seat of all today scott <laughs> we're, we're sending you emotional support yeah he's gonna get that next week in north park at original 40 that's the spot that we're gonna be at um we will have san diego city council member kent lee there as well he'll be our special guest you can get your tickets now before they're gone at vosd.org slash events that's vosd.org slash events uh september 6th see you there So I don't know if you guys have noticed, but downtown's looking a bit different these days. Wow, we're going, huh? We're going. Yeah. <laughs> it, downtown is really different. Yeah. I, I was telling you guys earlier, but I was in Barrio Logan. I was trying out this new coffee shop. It's called The Shop. 
Um, but it's in this area where usually there would be a lot of encampments, um, at, like by commercial. And yeah, I was very surprised to see that they were completely gone. It looked like a completely different area. They being tents? Tents, yes. Tents. Totally. No, I, I had the, the areas um, downtown uh, where I'm used to seeing encampments, also where I park near the office, uh, there's a bridge. Um, people seem to be getting cleared off the streets a lot. I don't know if I agree. I was at Jack in the Box this morning and it okay. was it was yeah. pretty it was pretty rough there getting a jack in the box downtown downtown mm. i do feel like jack jacks in the boxes jack in the boxes <laughs> mcdonald's carl's juniors those types of places are kind of like becoming like de facto hubs for folks who live mm. on the streets um so maybe that's like a migration that's happening do you think that's different than what you've seen at the jack in the box before when you go for a hangover uh, burger I, yeah. do you think famous san diego and tony gwynn like jack in the box almost I, that's certainly a, that's a that's a good that's a good question, Will. I but, would say yes. Yeah. But, uh, Do you think that was maybe where kind of the Padres got their whole? If we hit a home run, you get a what do they? What do you get? Like a taco or something? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Tony Gwynn seems more like a hamburger kind of guy than a taco guy to me. But, yeah. You know, I, get, I don't know. I'd say that's right. Um, so yeah, but I do in my observations of just like the weird anecdotal data that I get walking around downtown to come down to work. It does seem I'm, I'm encountering less people who appear unhoused, less people sleeping actively on the street, less um, like frankly shit that I have to walk over to mm. get to our office downtown. But so yeah, the, it seems stuff is shifting slowly does, but surely. Sh I think shifting is exactly the key word yeah. because you know I think anecdotally we've heard a couple of towns outside San Diego seeing, saying they're seeing more homeless people. I think mm. when we see the numbers come out from the regional task force on homelessness each month. We're not seeing more people get housed or anything. We're simply seeing less people on the streets where we're used to seeing them. And so, you know, I think clearly displacement is happening here, but a big question is are San Diegans going to see that as like a victory for Todd Gloria is displacement enough to say you've done something about homelessness. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think honestly, maybe, um, because I feel that a lot of, of San Diegans, their experience with homelessness is that one that you just described, right? Walking down the street, there's some doo-doo there. You got to step over it. Yeah. Uh, there's a person laying under a tattered blanket. There are a couple tents set up by their car. I mean, I think that is mostly people's frustrations they don't want to deal with it they don't that want to is how they it. are affected by the yeah. homelessness crisis for yeah. a lot of residents in san diego it was just seeing it being around it having to navigate around yes it. and, well, and like will and i wrote right like these mm -hmm. maybe somewhat violent interactions people have had especially business owners in downtown yeah that's... can you talk more about that story yeah when did we do that story two or three months ago yeah but it was a lot of um incidents in downtown um, and other neighborhoods, really, but um, experiences with people who maybe were dealing with some sort of like mental health crisis at the moment um, or coming yeah. into shops. Um, and then the role that like your average Starbucks worker or grocery store worker was kind of um, working a sort of security guard role and uh, kicking out individuals from stores who might be stealing stuff or just causing a 
a ruckus. So South that feels Park. more yeah. like direct impact to me, not just like sure. casual residents seeing stuff and be like, oh, my home value is going to go down. Right. But right. like people whose lives and daily like work like is less affected. potential for violence is a good thing. Yeah. Yes. If that if, if we can say that's an impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But is and this an impact that's where that we're feeling or experiencing right now because of the ordinance that was approved midsummer? Yeah, I don't know. And maybe we should revisit all those uh, workers who we talked to, you know, in that story, we we mainly talked to people working in grocery stores, working in Starbucks, places like that. Liquor and, stores. Yeah. And places with high concentrations of, of homeless people. You know, they talked about a, a really ridiculously high uh, incidence occurrence of, of things that could turn violent. You know, uh, they, they just they were like, I can't convey to you how frequently it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, I guess, I guess there's two, two, those, that's two big things. It's like, all right, maybe some people are just going to be happy seeing the streets clean. Maybe violent incidences are going to go down, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I I guess, I guess the, the, you know, I'm still stuck on the streets clean thing a little bit. Like if the streets are cleaner and we all pat ourselves on the back, you know, I feel like you just swept the dust under the rug, metaphorically speaking. You know? Yeah, no. And ultimately, I think that's the thing that we have to to continue to keep our eye on. The, this this ordinance didn't magically all of a sudden house those hundreds of people who were on the streets under those blankets in those. Like tents. we know for the we know for a fact that that's not the case because yes. the shelters that are available now and the shelter spaces have not changed enough to house yeah. the folks who were unhoused based on the last. Count. Exactly. This this massive delta that existed was not filled. Right. And and, and so ultimately these people are still out there. Yeah. They're just not out there. In, in our faces in the same Where way you used which to see them yes yeah. exactly and, and and so i i i while i do think this has the potential to uh help people's perception of how todd gloria has approached homelessness i i i, I hope that people don't let it honestly because again this is this is as will has talked about in the past this is ultimately more of a street sweeping ordinance that's then something that helps these folks long term i am curious how much of this ordinance is actually pushing people, you know, like actually having police officers coming to people and saying, you can't be here, blah, blah, blah. Or is it just the perception and the news that this ordinance is in place and maybe yeah. some signs have gone up as our Lisa Halverstadt has been following where these signs have been popping up because it's a little uh, chaotic, I would describe it. Yeah, it does seem pretty uh, haphazard. I was going to say, realistically, the signs might be like the most... I don't know, um, real form of enforcement uh-huh. that mm. I think yeah. I have seen or heard from Lisa's reporting or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like the signs that go up that say you cannot camp here, that might be one of the strongest features of the ordinance so far. Correct me if you think otherwise. I mean, I think, yeah, I th- it's probably both, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, right, just days before the uh, ordinance went into effect, Lisa and I reported how like a three block area with, mm-hmm. I would say, easily hundreds of people living in it was swept. And the police said it wasn't related to the ordinance. That's pretty, oh right, that was like the weekend before. It yeah, went into it was effect, like two right? days before it yeah. went into effect. But so, you know, I guess once you've done some pretty strong sweeps, and they have done a few, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. maybe those signs also are a little more um, ominous. If you're living on the street, you're like, yeah. well, they've been sweeping, and here's the sign, so mm-hmm. I'm going back to the canyon. You know, you and know? to a point that Scott and maybe others have made a lot recently, this ordinance had no bearing on the fact that they did that sweep beforehand meaning like the ordinance didn't help police 
sweep people more or move them around more. It was already within their power and ability to do so yes. in the city of San Diego. I know that's no. just an odd down the rabbit hole thing that this, yeah. they could have been doing yeah. this all along, but this ordinate passed and now it, the things do seem to be happening in regards to it. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Well, now as they're sweeping, they have a sign to point to. <laughs> and that changes everything. Yeah. Did you guys see uh, that video on Twitter uh, from today of the sweep that was happening? No. No. Yeah, uh, so Colleen Cusack, who's long been a advocate and, and activist and a criminal defense attorney who's represented homeless folks mm. um, in San Diego, posted this video today of a group of police officers standing, staring off into the distance, it would seem, as the Star Spangled Banner plays. Um, the police seem to be waiting for something. In her post, she says that it's they're waiting for trash trucks to come. Mm. It's clear they're engaged in, in a sweep of, of an encampment. And it is, I mean, it is just a very surreal. Wow. Um, but has she officially, still. <laughs> yeah. has she uh, filed to run for city council yet? Or do we just have the understanding that she has the intention to run against Whitburn? She has made her intention clear. I yeah. don't know if she's filed. I haven't, I haven't checked if she's filed. But she has a Twitter Colin Cusack for city council. Yeah, that's she's, close enough. She's launched. <laughs> she's hard launched. Mm. My is my understanding. Gotcha. Hard launch. Oh, I love that. Like a soft launch, a hard launch for campaigns. Oh, we gotta use that. <laughs> yeah, it d definitely looks like Midway to me. Yeah, it does. Either Midway or sort of the the industrial areas around yeah. like National City. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what we're seeing uh, downtown and throughout the city of San Diego. But Tigas, our North County reporter, was talking a bit about what's happening in other larger cities throughout the region. You want to mm -hmm. talk a bit about that? Yeah. So we have, I think you mentioned this earlier, Will, but there are other cities that have been saying, oh, we've seen an increase. Or I think um, our intern, Catherine Gray, spoke to someone in Imperial Beach who mentioned that because they have such a small population that when they do see new people, they can you know, kind of recognize that this is someone right. new to the community and not mm. someone that's known by name for the most part. Um, but yeah, other cities, Poway, El Cajon, um, are considering or have considered their own bans. I believe the city of Chula Vista is also considering its own ban. Mm -hmm. But um, and as Catherine reported a while ago, Poway yeah passed one right yeah yeah Poway passed one. Oh, Poway did pass yeah one. I, I believe that I believe interesting. So. Um, so Tigist actually had a story this week about the city of Escondido pulling some funding from its only homeless shelter in the city. So the way it works in North County is North County cities will dump a certain amount of funding into this big pot. Basically, that money will go. To to different homeless providers in North County because not a lot of North County cities have their own homeless shelter. Yeah, so they pull um, their money. These they cities. pull their money, and then you know those services and providers kind of tap into that funding. Now, there's a homeless shelter in Escondido that it was agreed that whatever money Escondido put into it would go specifically to that homeless shelter in right. Escondido, and it wasn't a huge amount. It was like fifty thousand dollars to seventy thousand dollars every year but it was something they could count on yeah. um and it was like stable and sustainable for yeah. lots of years they could yeah. count on it. and it's yeah. not you know it's not nothing but it's also not um it was this pretty small huge. share of the overall budget I think it was yeah it's like a million dollars thousand of a million dollars yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 okay um, but so the city of Escondido has decided to no longer fund that. And part of the reason, which is what uh, the provider of the nonprofit that runs this homeless shelter told Tigist, was that the city had concerns about the percentage of people who became homeless in Escondido, who the homeless shelter serves, mm -hmm. and the homeless of people, the percentage of homeless people who 
did not become homeless in Escondido. And that's kind of tapping into this larger discussion that's happening in other cities of, you know, we kind of want to help our own homeless people mm-hmm. and not yeah. homeless yeah. people who come to our city to access our services. But like if, if that's your if that's your mark for providing help, there's not any one city in this county where every homeless person there is from that city. Yeah. You know, so if everybody used that benchmark, there would be no, no funding for homelessness in any city in the county, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like I've talked about it before, right? Um, Mayor Todd Gloria of City of San Diego, um, he had this interesting moment at a press conference where he was like, what other cities are applying for these federal dollars? You know, I'll read for that home story. Key funds. Yeah, home last key time funds. Will was on, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah totally. And, and in general, he's just put the, he's like, I'm, I'm not going to carry this burden for mm-hmm. the whole county. And and San Diego, you know, in his defense, does do an outsized mm-hmm. part of the work. And then this this Escondido thing kind of just, go, I, I we can imagine what Mayor Todd would say about it. Mm-hmm. He would not be pleased. Yeah, but I mean, when you, when, when you talk about homelessness and, I don't know, I I guess discussions of like, is this a regional issue and that cities should tackle it as a regional issue? Um, I don't know, it's interesting to see this trend. Well, and it's also interesting. I mean, if I'm remembering Tigga's story correctly, 60% of the people at that shelter were were from uh Escondido. I mean, that's not like a... (laughs) So we're not going to help y'all. We're not going to help like the majority of the people that are from our city because there are these other folks right. for everybody else. Kind Which of was vibe, kind of right? the case with Catherine's story when she was checking out Chula Vista and yeah. sort of their new efforts to address homelessness. A mm-hmm. majority or a plurality of the folks they were trying to serve were Chula Vista residents. They're yeah. from Chula Vista, some yeah. outside of Chula Vista because it's a region where people just kind of go from a just city. The, you to know, a we city. don't the, the cities don't have walls around them anymore. You know, we're no. a porous <laughs> region. But just because. <laughs> Some people from, might I guess like just because you're not from a city, you didn't live there, you didn't become homeless there, like doesn't mean you're not part of the community, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, grocery no, no. stores I go to sometimes are in national city. And what a dangerous level of compassion, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting uh, concept about community, though, and how that extends throughout the region, especially as cities try to funnel resources mm-hmm. towards a crisis that is affecting the entire region where you have some mayors very distinctly saying, we're not going to try to help everybody who's yeah. in our city. Who, who and for you know for me and everybody else is is it a Democrat or Republican controlled city? Escondido, do we know? Uh, Pro- Republican really mayor, Republican right? Mayor. Dana, Dana, Dana White. Or yeah, Dan White. Dan White. Uh, he was formerly homeless. Take us word about that. Oh yeah, that was a good profile that she did of him. Yes, I remember that now. Wow, that's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can read Tigus Lane's story at VOSD.org slash Tigus. That's VOSD.org slash T-I-G-I-S-T. So sometimes I'm editing your guys' stories and um, sometimes there'll be like a funny little thing and this was one of them. Uh, Jacob wrote his learning curve about chronic absenteeism and how it has always been worst at the lower grades, but especially uh, among kindergartners. And he wrote a line about how this has been stressing him out. And it just made me laugh because it's so true because this is something he has talked about for a while. So (laughs) tell us what chronic absenteeism is again. Yeah, I feel like um, listeners and readers may be sick and tired of me talking about it, but it is is the one issue that if they get anything from my coverage – I hope they I hope they get it 
through their skulls that uh-huh. this is a big deal. But but essentially, chronic absenteeism is when a kid misses at least 10% of days in a given school year. And it's it's correlated with all sorts of negative, um, you know, uh, academic outcomes, lower test scores. Um, when they're chronically absent, they're more likely to be chronically absent in the future, yada, 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 graduation rates, everything. I mean, it, everything bad you can think of when it comes to school mm-hmm. is correlated with chronic absenteeism. Right. Um, and the pandemic produced a whole lot of crazy outcomes in education. One of the craziest, however, is chronic absenteeism, which basically tripled statewide and at most schools. And and that's a shocking tripled. tripled. That's what he said. Tripled. Tripled. Yeah. So it used to be around 12% in San Diego Unified and increased to around 30-ish percent, maybe a little more, Mm -hmm. um, which again is a shocking increase. Uh, And and for 30-ish percent of kids to be missing at least 10% of days in a school year is really bad. So 30% generally, how bad is it for kindergarten and early grades? So. For kindergarten and early grades, it's it's even worse. Uh, so when it comes to San Diego Unified, uh, in kindergarten, 47% of kindergartners were chronically absent in the 2021-2020 school year. Wow. Yikes. Which <laughs> is scary for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, like I said, chronic absenteeism, bad. Mm-hmm, chronic mm-hmm. absenteeism, not good. But when you're a kid, when you're a kindergartner, mm-hmm. you're really building a lot of the foundational skills that you're going to be using throughout the sure. rest of your academic career, totally. whether it's learning how to read or one plus one or just well, like two go to school. You're going to have like the building. consistency of your schedule of life. So you have the the like capacity in your bearings in yes. order to learn. If you're not comfortable, I don't know how much learning is happening for a five-year-old. In, ad- in addition to knowledge bases, like you said, you're building the routine of going to school yeah. and all of these things. You know, if you there, there's a whole lot of research that shows if you get to a certain point, often they, they say third grade and you don't know how to read, things are going to be very, very difficult. Uh, and essentially, researchers told me um, when you get behind at a young age, it is really hard to to get ahead again, to to, to dig yourself out of that hole. Now, I mean, I think all, all this uh, is what I encountered as an education reporter too. You know, if you start to fall behind early that whole process can just compound on itself and oh, yeah. spiral and so i i understand why jacob is stressed about this 47 percent number in kindergarten and i i think i guess first like shouldn't we say like maybe following the pandemic and you know the kind of erratic difficulty of raising young children like it is probably understandable that it skyrocketed, right? Absolutely, yeah. It, it, it shouldn't surprise anybody. It really shouldn't. I mean, and and the thing is that, that kindergartners always have had the highest rates of chronic absenteeism. And there are a whole slew of reasons for that. I mean, that's the age where like, if you get a tummy ache, is, mom, is mommy really right. gonna make you go to, go to school? Exactly. Uh, you know, kindergarten still isn't legally required in California. That's and, something that your learning curve reminded me of that yeah. I totally forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Nate was like, damn, I've been taking my child to kindergarten. <laughs> I think even in much. North Carolina it's required, man. I mean, this is wild. It's, yeah, that it's, is just interesting to me. Like an interesting fact that I had at one point in my mind and I forgot. And it's a very important, especially for this exact issue that you're talking about. It is, but it, but it, and it, and it kind of reinforces the notion that maybe kindergarten is kind of non-essential like like maybe it's not yeah. a big deal if little johnny has a tummy ache and i keep him home and we go to see 
like Blue's Clues, the live action, you know, movie. I don't well, know. I mean, That's you would awesome. learn a lot from that, but but <laughs> I yeah, mean, Blue's Clues. Is really good. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it like, you know, remember when in the '90s we all used to smoke and we thought it was cool, and they did like so many big PSA campaigns, like saying smoking's not cool, and the kids finally got it, like. I mean, I just haven't seen anything like that going on with chronic absenteeism. And I feel like that's kind of what's required. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's like really informing parents that like kindergarten is when your child is going to develop the habits of how to go to school, how mm-hmm. to do assignments, how to sit still, how to learn to read. And even know? experts in like preschool education would say that about preschool as well. This is going to set your kid up to succeed in kindergarten. Yeah. If yeah. they can learn the classroom structure and systems and everything else, that will set exactly. them up for success when they go to kindergarten. So but if they're not w- even getting that. Will, you're saying we need like an anti-pirating like PSA? <laughs> you sure. like truth. Car. <laughs> <laughs> it's, instead it's like, you wouldn't miss... You wouldn't let your child not learn to read. (laughs) But right now, Jacob's doing a one-man PSA campaign, you know, and I think somebody, I think other people need to step in. It's a valuable service that local nonprofit journalism provides. There you go, yeah. Uh, (laughs) What is it? VOSD.org slash donate. Um, Okay, so. So, so, like, yeah, you're the one doing this PSA, but (laughs) what is the school district doing about it? Because this was a question yesterday. I was at a uh, Parents Guide event and I was talking to parents and one of them talked to me and she was like, well, doesn't the school rely on kids showing up to school to get paid? Like, why don't they care about this? Yes, you are correct. And that's why this is so, this is school districts have not ignored this. Right. This is something that they are thinking about because it is this kind of, as mm-hmm. I write in the learning curve, this educational double whammy. Right. Not only is it really not setting kids up for success but it also affects their bottom line. I mean, Mm -hmm. part of the way that schools get funded is through ADA, which is average daily attendance. And so the less that kids go to school, (laughs) the less that school gets in funding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this, again, it's very concerning for them because of these two very concerning things, the bottom line and the forward-looking indicators of academic success. Uh, And there have been a lot of of different strategies. Well, I I don't know how different they've all been, but but (sighs) sort of... um, uh, pivots on, on, on different strategies at, at school districts. Uh, and they include, you know, uh, San Diego Unified has hired what they call family services assistants to essentially organize in each of the clusters to w- with parents, with teachers, with administrators to try and first figure out why a kid is chronically absent Uh uh, and then maybe do home visits to try and ascertain that uh, again. Um, Is that one person per cluster? One person per cluster, which in my opinion is not. Explain a cluster. So a cluster is, uh, think of, of, let's say, like Crawford High School, right? A cluster encompasses Crawford High School and every single school from the elementary school level to the middle school level that feeds into Crawford, right? So it's it's the big umbrella of all the schools in the neighborhood vicinity of, of Crawford, all the kids who go to all those schools that will eventually go to Crawford. And one family services assistant per cluster is just clearly not enough. That's I a mean, gnarly job. It is. Yeah, yeah. Go, doing home visits, coordinating with teachers, that's gnarly. So any other strategies? Yeah, so uh, the County Office of Education has has been um, concerned about chronic absenteeism for a long time, and for, and for good reason. Even before the pandemic, they'd started what they call ICANN, which is the Improving Chronic Absenteeism Network. And it's essentially um, this sort of each year they induct a new cohort of schools to try to work with them to use 
data strategies to improve um, uh, attendance. One of the things that they've really uh, relied on are these things called nudge letters. And that's a, they're a really pretty interesting concept, essentially. Or is it a guilt letter? Pretty much. That's basically what it is. Yeah, it's nice. like it's like guilt based nudging. Right. And so if uh, let's say, you know, Will and I's son, Johnny, uh, has missed there have been <laughs> 60 days of school so far in this he's, year. He's got so much potential. <laughs> Johnny, he's he's we're going to get really him on that basketball court. Johnny name. <laughs> I don't know. It's the first thing that's coming to mind. But Johnny McWinney. Yeah. Johnny yeah. Now McWinney. I'm hearing. Like, now I'm seeing. Like, or would it be Huntsbury? McWinney Huntsbury. Yeah. Huntsbury. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. OK. So imagine little Johnny again. Um, it's 60 days into the school year and Johnny's already missed five days. He's at what? Like eight ish, nine ish percent chronic. uh, uh it's like uh, right on the verge of chronic. Right on the verge of chronic. And so what the district or what the school will do will, will be to send out a letter that says, hey, this is how many days Johnny's missed. This is how Johnny compares to the rest of the kids at this school. Mm. And um, these are the effects of chronic absenteeism, which nice. is what Johnny's looking at right now. Nice. Uh, and and cur- they are starting to sort of reimagine how many or reassess how many they need to send out there are there are there is research about how much of a half-life these things have yeah, and for sure ultimately i think more um they've they found that more reminders are are better mm-hmm. um because after a couple weeks you know yeah. will and i are busy and we're running around living and how our many lives of those you need to bash it into our head exactly into I, we, I need to be yeah. reminded again yeah, yeah. right like any marketing campaign a portion of it will actually get it's like true intentions yes, yes exactly a, a exactly recipient um, but ultimately, I think one of the the real important things is to figure out is for districts to to do as much as they can to figure out exactly why a kid is chronically absent. Mm-hmm. Because again, every family story is very different. Every kid is chronically absent for di- very different reasons. Maybe it's because you know Will and I both work two jobs and we can't ensure that that Johnny gets to school every day we aren't there to to drive them maybe transportation is an issue maybe they are somebody who is has experienced a lot of illness mm-hmm. uh, there are all of these different reasons and you know giving Johnny a bus pass isn't going to help them if they're sick uh, and and giving mm. Johnny a bunch of masks or something I don't know isn't going to help them if they don't have a bus pass sure. so so figuring out the right intervention is 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 key and mm-hmm. and you know especially when it comes to kindergartners there are all of these things that that the the pandemic kind of forced on us right um, one of the best uh, forward-looking indicators of of kindergarten attendance is if a kid went to preschool because again, that's more reinforcement of going to the, of getting into the routine of going to school, maybe building up your immune system if if you know uh, you're going to school for the first time. Um, and also, good luck finding a preschool in the county. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's part that's part of why why it's been it's been tough because the pandemic during the pandemic especially um, preschools closed preschools closed. There was a lot less uh, 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 you know availability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that may be part of this, right? This is kids' mm-hmm. first time going to school, and they're like, "Oh God, this is this, this is freaky." This it might sucks. be a slow ramp up if they're not comfortable with that environment. Exactly. That's yeah. I mean, some and some things are difficult to fix, you know, especially when you talk about targeting the reasons. But I just feel like, you know, even though all the bureaucrats are aware this is a big problem and it's messing with their money, I'm just going to say it does not feel like 
the actions of the school districts or, or the state are meeting the urgency of the moment at all. And I'm a little surprised with that since it's messing with their money so yeah. much. Yeah, no, I, yeah, you would think it would be. I agree. We do need some sort of ad campaign. You wouldn't miss more than 10% of school days in kindergarten. You know, the more you talk about this. little wordy, but it gets there. The more you talk about this, the more I realize that I was chronically absent. Oh, why? <laughs> oh, my senior year of high school, I was mostly just absent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Andre, are you talking about when you were a kid, though, or like, or, or what? When I was younger, because my mom worked like twelve-hour days, and she needed someone to take care of my little brother. See, oh. and that, that's that's a, exactly one of the reasons that that uh, administrators and officials are finding. W- yeah. One of the interesting things is is as I've talked to folks, I'm like, okay, so chronic absenteeism has exploded. What's changed? And mm-hmm. they're like, you know, what's kind of crazy is that we often hear the same exact reasons for chronic absenteeism as we did before the pandemic. I think ultimately things across the board just got harder. Mm-hmm. And so all of the mundane reasons that existed before just are more acute. Mm-hmm. More sensitivity to illness would be the one thing deeply pandemic related, right? Yes. If I'm not, if I'm feeling ill, I'm not going to be around people now. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and, absolutely. You know, maybe that accounts for, for a great, portion that is that is definitely uh, speaking to people uh, there is much more of a willingness to say hey johnny's got the sniffles let's keep him home right you know? and people people moved more into homeschool during the i mean the pandemic forced us not to get too deep into it but i think it like forced us to think about what is really important to us more yeah. maybe some parents are like you know i'm just gonna be here with my kid today instead yeah. of making them go to school because maybe you know school's not always everything i want it to be anyway dude i personally you know? make that call all the time like it just it just kind of is the case that way yeah there and, you go and, and you know i i totally get that but also shame on you <laughs> <laughs> you're the one eating jack-in-the-box burgers in hey, the shame on you <laughs> Be sure to get Jacob's bi-weekly newsletter, The Learning Curve, at vosd.org slash learning. That's vosd.org slash learning. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. So Will this week had what we call here at Voice of San Diego uh, a banger. (laughs) 
<laughs> so every now and then, like a, a story will jump out of the sort of insular news community that, that San Diego has and into the wider world. And uh-huh. I, I think it's very clear that story has done that. And I and I say that partly because I was in class last night. Uh, I go to SDSU oh, yes. mm-hmm. and I'm in a uh, screenwriting class. And uh, our first assignment was for everybody in class to choose a news story yeah. and then pitch a script based on that news story. I'm scrolling through these, <laughs> these uh, you know, sc- script pitches and who do I see but Will Huntsbury's name <laughs> and a story about uh, a, of some... Somebody call Adam McKay. I'm ready to option these rights. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I think I've that... I've heard Ryan Gosling is free, so... Right. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Gosling is great, man. The good guys, that movie rocks. Anyway, so, so yes. Seems I, like a natural to play me, but... <laughs> So I, I would I would absolutely <laughs> I would absolutely agree this story has reached banger status. Banger status. By, by, agree. You all humble me, Faith. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was all about a fake nonprofit that was operating out of Petco Park and Snapdragon Stadium, raking in big money. Um, well, let's start from the beginning. How'd you start following the story? Well, uh, you know, I got a tip I can't discuss, as you often do when it we comes love those to these tips. stories. Them over. We do, yeah. Anonymous tips, bring them on. Frequently, they don't play out, um, but <laughs> this one really seems to to have caught people's attention. You know, I heard that there was. First of all, I heard that concession stands in Petco Park are mostly run by nonprofit groups. I didn't News know that. News to most people. Totally. Right, they're not advertised. We we went to the stadium and totally. it's not like there's a little sign. It made me think of, I don't know if you guys ever saw, like Rubio's would do these fundraisers with nonprofits and it mm-hmm. would say like, whatever proceeds, mm-hmm, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, go to whatever nonprofit this day. But yeah. none of the concession ha- stands have any sort of advertisement that the money that you're paying for that no, $12 no, which, hot dog goes to a nonprofit. And you would think it would be good advertisement for the stands. Like, look, we help charity. But, but you know, so what I found, so first I, I, I hear that concept. And then I hear that one of the biggest nonprofits, the biggest nonprofit operating at Petco Park is not actually real. Mm-hmm. It's called Chula Vista Fast Pitch. and Fa- Fast Pitch or Fast patch <laughs> yeah exactly they <laughs> they have several different um uh, business aliases they go by um but you know i so i dug into it and it really did not take me long to discover at all that this charity was in fact fake but nonetheless had been operating in petco park for nine years bringing in roughly 10 percent of the take at the concession stands they run on average 12 a game so Mm -hmm. big operators in the stadium so a little bit of history though there was a chula vista fast pitch at some point there was there was a chula vista fast pitch i found a chula vista fast pitch the only problem is that it shut up shop in 2014 Mm -hmm. Uh, i tracked down its real original founders and um you know they were shocked that the name was still being used and uh yeah they told me it was a summer league in in chula vista it was really awesome but they had to shut it down because you know life was calling they couldn't keep running it mm-hmm. okay so the real nonprofit shuts down the fake nonprofit opens up yes. shop and has been selling hot dogs and ice cream and micheladas at petco park for a decade i mean how much did they make what what, what did mean, that look like 
what so uh i got i got some receipts i got receipts for a five month period during the beginning of this year and it showed their net sales at 3.7 million dollars wow if they brought in rough if they brought in 10 percent of that that'd be 370k to them in a five month period that only included two months of baseball season so you know we're talking potentially towards a million dollars a year uh, I don't know if that's they're making every year before, but it's a lot of money. And I don't even know yet if the Padres or Delaware North, the concessions management company is going to try to go after that money or what? Wow. $370,000. What is that? Like four hot dogs at the, at the ball game? <laughs> Tony Gwynn would turn over in his grave. Well, there's another one. <laughs> I mean, that man, Tony Gwynn loved a hot dog. You know that. <laughs> there's okay. a Tony Gwynn hot dog at Petco Park, isn't there? As there should be. Greatest hitter in all time. <laughs> MVP, Tony Gwynn. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love him? Okay, so you discovered that nonprofits run these concession stands, but how does that work exactly? And what happens? Who contracts them? Who gets them to come in? What do they do? How do they get money from the concession stands? Yes, the city of San Diego owns Petco Park. Mm -hmm. It entrusts the Padres to manage Petco Park. The Padres, in turn, entrust a group called Delaware North to manage concessions. Delaware North's like a global hospitality company. They're involved in all kinds of things, like even like gaming and casinos. Um, and so then what Delaware North does is they staff some concession stands with their own employees, but they also get these nonprofit groups to come in. The nonprofit group will run the stand for free. They're not supposed to be paying people. Um, and in return, they get 10% of the take, which obviously could be very big money for your charity. For a local nonprofit? Totally, yeah. Exactly. I mean, Voices saying this. I've gotten some messages that we should consider getting, getting in on the concession stand game. <laughs> I volunteer Jacob to hand out It sounds dogs. like hard work, it does. dude. Yeah. It does sound like hard work. Yeah, we should start a nonprofit called Voices of San Diego. <laughs> yeah, we run it. Me and Jacob McGuinney. Oh, let's do it, dude. And their yeah. kid Johnny. Will and our, and little Johnny will be working working the stand with so, us. What did you learn about how Chula Vista Fast Pitch was running their concession stands? You know, so Chula Vista Fast Pitch, they seem to run about 12 stands, maybe as many as 18, according to people uh that I've been talking to. Which you said was the most of any nonprofit at the park. Yes, the most, according to the people I talked to, the most of any nonprofit at the park. Um, and so, yeah, very big business for them. Uh, so, so who was Chula Vista Fast Pitch? I mean, obviously it wasn't the founders. Who was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, three we guys can... in a trench coat? <laughs> three three children dressed as a man? Yeah, yeah. Was it, was it Vincent Adult Man? Uh, running? I mean... <laughs> I, I will believe anything about Petco profit not nonprofits at this point. Um, so I was told that two men run the charity. Their names are Noli Alarde and Martin Rabolio. Um And it's written Martin, but some people are pronouncing it Martin. So I don't I don't know actually which way that goes. But um, either way, I talked to both those guys. They both confirm that they are managers for this Phantom Chula Vista. Mm -hmm. Um, fast pitch, but neither of them kind of would claim ownership or responsibility for the enterprise. Uh, Martin, I got him on the phone first and he said that 
you know, there's a guy who runs it and, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I can think of his last name, but I, I can't even think of his first name right now. I just, I'll just have to get him to call you. I'll have to get him to call you, you know, and you know, that's kind of what he kept saying. Mm-hmm. Um, he did at one point though, he was like, well, there's another group, Chula Vista Fast Patch. And that was very confusing to me, but I did track down. There's a Chula Vista Fast Patch and it has his address listed on it. And it was briefly registered as a nonprofit, but the IRS quickly took the nonprofit status away because it looks like they never filed any taxes or anything like that. Um, And then uh, Andre and I went to the ballpark together um, Mm -hmm. on Hassan Kim bobblehead night. Yes. Really wish it had been Tony Gwynn bobblehead night, obviously. (laughs) Um, But we go to the stadium and we're... um, trying to track down Noli and I kind of had heard what stand he was supposed to be in and so mm-hmm. we're kind of hanging out around the stand and, hoping and, we and see I'd like him. To, I'd like dear listeners to just picture this right <laughs> our 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 debonair uh Will Huntsbury standing there balancing three Hassan Kim bobbleheads in his, in his arms standing before a Petco Park concession stand like I don't know waving down this this phantom Charity nonprofit. Well, Andrea had one. I had two. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, I had one. He had two. So he but had, it was I just, everybody but, was like looking at the game, uh-huh. and Will and I were facing the concessions. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's just pretend like we're trying really hard to look at the menu while we wait to see the guy. In, in my in my head, I'm just hearing like James Bond music. Dun, 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 we were much goofier, but but yeah, yes. <laughs> well, you like were much it was more goofier. like Pink Panther. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, I was. Goofy, yeah, you gotta take Andrea it. was not goofy at all. <laughs> Continue, you're in front of this concession stand holding seven Hassan Kim bobbleheads. What happens next? I ask if Noli's there, um, to somebody like a manager. Uh-huh. They he comes out from the back. I'm standing like I've kind of broken the line of the concession stand. I'm worried everybody hates me for that. <laughs> He's standing on the other side of the register. I'm like. Hi, Noli. Uh, you work with Chula Vista. I'm a reporter. You work with Chula Vista Fast Pitch, right? And and he's like, well, you need to you need to talk to Martin. And I'm like, but you're a manager here, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a manager here, but Martin's name's on the paperwork. Martin's in charge. You know, they kind of threw each other under the bus. They yes, I mean Martin didn't name Noli, but yeah, Noli named Martin, and that that mm-hmm. was kind of surprising because I've been told they're they're partners, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And Andrea's just watching me from a distance. I'm watching over the bobbleheads. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I couldn't get much more. He like went back to the back of the ballpark eats, but yeah, that that's what we found out about who's running it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Huh? What happened after you ran your first story about Peco Park? So after I ran my first story about Petco Park, I started getting a lot of phone calls, um, mm-hmm. number one. But also I had been told that this group was also operating in Snapdragon. So I had simultaneously kind of reached out to SDSU, uh, San Diego State, who who runs uh, Snapdragon. I did confirm they were also operating in Snapdragon. We got that story out as mm-hmm. well. Snapdragon acted pretty quickly and asked these people to provide their nonprofit mm-hmm. status. They couldn't provide it, and they had them booted like the same day that I asked them questions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the speed of that impact was uh, striking because that's typically not the case for any story that gets out into the world. But it was like same day. I was like, wait, was this from yesterday? It was. Totally. It was pretty rapid. And, and and ultimately, I mean, I mean, I think that the speed of the impact just goes to show how little these two organizations had their shit together 
I mean, I, I think yeah. it seems very clear that they just straight up did not like Google <laughs> right, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> this, this nonprofit. Just did, to, it, it, I can't tell you it was it was such a short process to figure out they weren't a nonprofit <laughs> that I kind of didn't trust myself. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. am I done here already? <laughs> <laughs> to demonstrate like anybody who works for these places could have done it at some point because there are annual checks, uh, I think I read, to, to determine nonprofit status for everyone who's running these concession stands. There are annual checks, but it's unclear to me how rigorous those are. Yeah. You know, Snapdragon's only been open for a year. Mm-hmm. So... Okay, they've been at Snapdragon for a year. They've been at Petco yes. Park for nine years. Yeah. I don't know what paperwork they turned in when they started. Maybe it was some real Chula Vista fast pitch paperwork. And they do send in stuff regularly. I got some emails that showed me kind of what this process looks like. But nothing that they send in regularly verifies that they're a current nonprofit status. The only further step you would have to take if you were interested in knowing if the nonprofits at your ballpark are really real mm -hmm. is literally kind of just put them into the IRS website and see if they're real. Yeah. The impact essentially at this point looks like both Snapdragon and Petco have kicked these two fellows in a trench coat out of the ballpark. Because that was the next story. Yes, yeah. yes, the yes, Delaware North has also now kicked them out. They followed the suit of Snapdragon. They mm -hmm. they were like, you know, we're looking into it. We've got you know our team involved. Whatever it took a few days, but now Delaware North says, you know. Um, they're not allowed to come back anymore either. Snapdragon is supposedly reviewing its processes for how they do this. Delaware North is also supposedly mm -hmm. reviewing its processes according to the Padres officials. Mm -hmm. But then that's the other question, right? I think for San Diegans is like how much responsibility did the Padres bear? Mm -hmm. And there's a former MLB executive uh, who has a, a podcast, David Sampson. He, he weighed in on this. Can we roll the clip? Yeah. But, but before we do that, did have the Padres fessed up to having any culpability in this screw up? Uh, no, no. They kind of just said Delaware North is in charge of all this. They did say we care, you know, as I pressed them. You yeah, know, I was, was like, are you going to they, they at first? They're just like Delaware North's in charge of all that. Mm, and I was it. like, well, are you going to follow up with them? You know, it seems like you wouldn't like this. Yeah, but they and, gave you like a thoughts and prayers for the concession stand thing. Kind of. And they're like, yeah, we're going to follow up. And then then I taught, reach out to them again and they're like, yeah, you know, they Delaware North has assured us they're uh, checking their practices. Mm, OK. All right. Here's a clip from that podcast. It is mind boggling to me that the Padres would have you believe that they have no idea. What kind of business is that? Why would you have a business where you're not in charge of who's interacting with your customers? Does that make any sense to you at all? And if confronted with an issue, are you so spineless that the owner, and when your team is in the crapper, you're gonna have to fire your GM, you have such problems, but you're so insecure that you can't even take ownership of this? and say, I am mortified, I am embarrassed. The fact that this could happen under my watch is inexcusable. A lot of money that fans have spent at this ballpark was supposed to go to charity and did not. And like, no one has taken ownership of that yet as this saga unfolds. Not Delaware North, not the Padres. You know, and I, I don't like, I don't know how fans, mad fans are, but, you know, we'd love to hear from you on that count. All, all those $17 million beers, 
you know that they're there uh some of some of that money wasn't going where it was supposed to i'm sorry to inform you yeah well it is impressive that he was able to get that that dig in not only at Padre's ownership, but the quality of the team that was pretty quick. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's uh, there's been a, a lot of talk of that. You can't have a scandal like this and be having this bad a season. Yeah, and especially <laughs> when you know we look back, there are some players that the Padres could really use this season. I know if they could all just embrace the spirit of Tony Gwynn right now, you know, just feel his soul in their hands as they grip the bat. <laughs> so, so presumably, uh, so the receipts you got were for a period of five months and that was 3.7 million dollars yes presumably over the past nine years they've made quite a bit more than that is there any recourse is that yeah, where is that 3. money 7 million dollars well it's 3.7 million dollars in net sales yeah. they presumably got about 10 percent of that so yeah, 370k 370k in five months so what what happens next i mean nine years of pretty significant profits it would seem yeah, I, that I, I think that's what we're gonna follow up on. You know, I, it, this story stuck struck such a chord, and I think that's because for one, people care about the Padres so mm-hmm. much. Right now, we don't know if anybody's gonna try to go after that money. You know, law enforcement could get involved, and I think that's a definite possibility. Uh, Delaware North could pursue means to get this money back. Um, I don't know uh, exactly what the Padres could do, but they certainly have a bunch of resources Mm -hmm. um, that they could bring to bear you know Mm -hmm. do you just do the question is do you just get to run a fake charity in Petco Park for nine years and then just like walk away with Mm -hmm. all that money? Mm -hmm. For my money yes. (laughs) I mean that's a sick deal <laughs> it's, it's it is very sick and it 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 takes some real chutzpah yeah yes it really does okay it's a great story check it out and share it with your friends at vosd.org slash will thanks for having me guys and big ups to tony gwynn and the padres (laughs) okay that's 10 (laughs) yes thanks for listening to the voice of san diego podcast the most popular public affairs podcast in san diego don't forget bruising news get your tickets now at vosd.org slash events that's vosd.org slash events link is in the show notes we'll see you there I'm Andrea Lopez Vifania, Managing Editor at Voice of San Diego. Jacob McWinney is our Education Reporter. Will Huntsbury is our Senior Investigative Reporter. Nate John is our Producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>